welcome to another audio podcast from Christchurch Christian Centre. I'm going to talk to you this morning before we break bread. Um, a bit later on, Alan Tilly's going to lead us in the communion time, but I just want to talk to you for a little while from the book of Nehemiah. <clears throat> and uh, if you've got your Bible, you could turn with me to chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. We're still struggling with the overheads. Um, the monitors have gone out this morning. The main computer's not working again, although Matthew took it home and worked on it in the week and could find nothing wrong with it. Um, so we will, we will continue until we arrive at a solution. That meantime, we might put up with a few blips. And Josh is doing a great job at the back there, filling in the gaps. So chapter 4 of Nehemiah, just the first... Um, well, we'll read the first five verses. <coughs> it says, When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they're building, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. And then Nehemiah prays, Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Amen. It's quite a strong prayer, isn't it? Jesus said we're to bless those that curse us and to love our enemies. And uh, in Nehemiah's day, things seem to have been a bit different. Well, we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah. There's so much in this book. We could go on for months, but we're going to stop after this morning for a time. Um, We've we've really um, come some way. We've seen about... Nehemiah, the practical man of faith. We've seen a bit about his prayer life. We've seen how he placed people at the lowest parts of the wall. And last week we were thinking about the man who cared, the man who stood in the gap. And we looked at Nehemiah and then we looked at Jesus, the one who stood in the gap for us. And we finished by thinking about ourselves as those who stand in the gap. Um, Rex has already prayed this morning about this legislation that's due to be receiving its second reading on Tuesday. Um, I have to say I'm very concerned at the way they've pushed this through. didn't have a first reading in the House. It went straight to committee, which means it wasn't debated on the floor of the House. Second reading's pretty much a formality. Then goes to the Lords. They look at it, and it gets sent back for the third reading. And barring a mighty miracle, it will go through. However, we've been praying. And God hears and answers prayer. And Monday afternoon we we meet in the hall to pray for healing, to wait on God for healing. But uh, I think this Monday we'll spend an hour or two from two o'clock on. We'll be praying about this issue, waiting on God about this particular issue. So we're standing in the gap. And uh, as a church and as individuals, we do that. We seek to bring the news to people outside. And this morning I want to look at this man again, Nehemiah, as the man who overcame... Uh, he was 
sent by God to have this place rebuilt. And that's what they were setting about. The work had started in chapter 4, verse 1. When Sambalat heard they were rebuilding the wall, he became very angry, greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. When my wife and I moved to Christchurch, Terry and I moved to Christchurch in 1975 from London, and uh, I was working for a firm in, 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 just down from the Supreme Court and used to commute from Christchurch every day, except weekends, of course, and uh, did that for a year, when God remarkably provided a job for me. Um, and the reason I tell you that is because there was a man on the train. He travelled to Hoban. He worked for the Prudential. He'd been doing it for 10 years, suffering blood pressure and all sorts of things. And he used to ridicule me because I read my Bible on the train. And it was, in his mind, it was playful fun. In my mind, it really didn't matter because uh, I was soaking up the word of God so they could say what they liked. I didn't care. Um, but we, we got into conversation at different times. And he became the mayor of Christchurch, incidentally. Um, and he came to our church once when we had George Canty at a healing crusade. And got prayed for. He didn't want to get prayed for, but there was no seat except at the front. He came to the front. Uh, and when George was ministering to people, he said, do you need prayer? And he said, um, um, well, I do. <laughs> yeah, i tell you about this guy because he ridiculed me. But by the end of the year, he was reading a Bible. <laughs> Very interestingly, it was wrapped in brown paper. You know, like you might hide a, 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 a bad book, but he was obviously ashamed to be seen reading the Bible. But the ridiculer became a Bible reader. Last time I saw him was at the Priory, at a service, so I won't tell his name. <clears throat> ridicule. The subject, <coughs> to, to, to ridicule someone is to subject them to mocking and dismissive language or behaviour. Well, that's what they were doing. And, and, and those who ridiculed were saying, what's the point of doing? What do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? Now, what they didn't understand, what Sambalat and Tobiah didn't understand, was first of all, in chapter 2, verse 12, <coughs> it says this. I've read it often. It says, Nehemiah set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. You know, if God gives you vision, if you put something in your heart, they can ridicule you because they're wrong. And I've, I'm often saying to my wife, I don't care what people think. And honestly, deep down inside, so I don't care what people think. If I'm doing what God's called me to do, I just don't care what people think. And this man and the Jews were being ridiculed, but God had given them vision. And they didn't care what Sambalat and Tobiah thought. And another thing they didn't understand in chapter 2, verse 18, he says this. When he's talking to the Jews, he said, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had sent to me. He told them that God's hand was upon them and he gave them evidence. He said, God's done this, this and this. God's hand is upon me. So you can ridicule me as much as you like, he was saying. God is with us. So Sambalat and Tobiah were onto a loser from the word go. Of course, they didn't know that. Now, overcoming the man who overcame, Nehemiah, the man who overcame this stuff, overcoming has much more to do with God in us and God for us 
than it ever has to do with our strong character or determination. Because even the youths will grow faint and weary. And what the scripture teaches is you may be ever so strong and ever so resolute, but at the end of the day you'll run out of your own strength and you'll need God's strength. And so overcoming has much more to do with God in us and God for us than it ever has to do with our personal effort. Though we make a decision, I will follow Jesus. And in our lives would renew that decision oftentimes. I've decided to follow Jesus. And so they can ridicule me on the train. It will make no difference because I've decided to follow Jesus. And in their ridicule, verse 2, they set out, you've got a few little things, in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria. So he's got his buddies with him. Bullies are like that, aren't they? Get, a, get some buddies with them. And from that position, he starts to say, what are these feeble Jews doing? In other words, you'll never do that. You're not good enough. You're feeble Jews. Paul in Corinthians says, I will glory in my weakness. Because in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. I don't mind weakness. Because it means we rely more on God. When we're able, when we're competent, we sometimes charge ahead. At least I've been guilty of this. You may never have been guilty of this. I said, we sometimes charge ahead because I can do that. But actually, in weakness, his strength is made perfect. So you're not good enough, you feeble Jews. You'll never do that. Will they restore this wall? You'll never do that. They'd forgotten or didn't know that God's hand was upon them. It's a waste of time. What does they say? Will they restore this wall? Will they offer sacrifices? It's a waste of time. Are they going to get it together so they can worship their God again? They're wasting their time. It won't work. Will they finish in a day? It's not going to work. Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? It won't be good enough. All the ridicule ridicule comes in that kind of form. You won't do it. You're not good enough. It won't be good enough. Do you really think you'll achieve what you're after? The answer, of course, is yes. Nehemiah and the people just kept going. They just kept going and they rebuilt the wall because God was with them. It was God's plan and it was God's purpose to rebuild the wall. And we are are so grateful to God that it's God's plan and it's God's purpose, purpose to make us like Jesus Christ. He's at work in our lives and uh, the enemy may come along and whisper in your ear well you're not really that good are you or you haven't got far or you don't know very much all sorts of things God is on our case and we will be encouraged as we sang at the beginning we will trust and obey as we follow Jesus Christ God was with them in ridiculing there's nothing new under the sun it's a tactic uh, from, from way back, since, since men have been around, really, to ridicule. It's unloving, it's unkind, it's everything that's contrary to what God would have us be like, to ridicule somebody. And it's not, you know, it's not new. It happens today, it happens in politics today, doesn't it? Particularly, you'll see it. Um, I hope the English team won't be ridiculing their next uh, opponents in the 
six nations having beaten Scotland 38-18. Yippee! I'm so pleased about that. Um, I hope they're not tempted to ridicule their opponents because they could get thrashed. You just don't know. But it's still used today. Um, they'll ridicule you if you mention immigration. We all know we're not, you know, we don't have great statistics at our fingertips and we're not great social scientists, but it's obvious to every, every thinking person in this land that there's been such mass immigration, our nation's changed irrevocably. Now, that's, I'm not against that. I'm not for it. I'm not passing judgment on it. It's just a statement. And it's causing all sorts of social problems. The, some of the schools uh, in, in the cities in particular, one of the schools my niece went to, I think they've got something like 87 languages. Um, and so here's somebody in a situation or others in a situation where most of the children don't have English as their, second la- as their first language. So it's going to hold people back in their education. Now, I'm not passing judgment on that either way. I'm just stating it as a fact. Housing issues we know about, job issues we know about. And yet if you dare to mention it, they'll, they'll, they'll call you a racist. They'll ridicule you. And uh, Nick Clegg, I nearly called him Mr. Clegg, um, but that may be too high an honour. <laughs> this week has ridiculed the idea that there should be a £3 a week tax break for married couples. He's ridiculed the idea, whereas although it's a nominal sum... It says something about the fact, possibly it says something about the fact that actually marriage is an institution the state recognises as being worthwhile and important. It's not something to be ridiculed, but it's an old tactic and it comes out all over the show, doesn't it? It was, of course, a tactic used against the Lord Jesus Christ. Prophetically, in Psalm 22, we read... (coughs) The psalmist says, all who seek me mock me. Ridicule, another word for ridicule, mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. And when Jesus was ministering, <clears throat> they ridiculed him, particularly, there are particular instances you can pick up on, and if you read between the lines without being dogmatic in any way, there must have been other instances not recorded in Scripture where some would have ridiculed him. He went once to see a little girl whose father was so concerned for her. He'd called Jesus to come and help. And when Jesus got there, the little girl had already died. But being the sovereign Lord of heaven, Jesus could say, she's not dead. She's sleeping. Calling those things that are not as though they were. Go away, he said to them, Matthew 9, 24. The girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. And yet when he put them out, he said to her little girl, arise. And then in another gospel, give her something to eat. Yes, they ridiculed Jesus. Matthew 27, the record of the crucifixion, as they watched him there, they said this, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the Son of God. And in those words, I always imagine I can hear the devil speaking. Because that's what he said to Jesus in the wilderness. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to be turned into bread. If you're the Son of God, cast yourself down. 
You're, you're not really who you say you are, are you? You don't expect us to believe that. Here you are, dying on a cross. You don't expect us to believe you. Will you finish it in a day? You can just see it, can't you? Ridicule. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ gained that great victory for us. And we know the end of the thing. Psalm, 24, Psalm 2 verse 4 puts it like this. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. For the Christ who was crucified rose from death on the third day. And we know the end from the beginning. We've sung it with a shout. He'll come again and break through the sky for his bride. They can ridicule, but they're wrong. They're completely wrong. In Nehemiah's case, <coughs> the war was completed in 52 days. Nehemiah 6.15 tells us that. In 52 days, they finished that mammoth task. Yes, there were lots of them, but they worked with a will. God's hand was on the thing. And though they were ridiculed, they just kept going. And the work was done. The Lord Jesus Christ rose from death and has been building his church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overcome it. And so, those who ridicule might say, you don't seriously expect us to believe that anyone in North Korea can possibly be a Christian in the circumstances in which they're living. Surely you don't expect us to believe that they'll make it through, do you? Yes, we do. Because Jesus is building his church. And overcoming is more to do with God in us than it ever is to do with our personal determination. It's more to do with his grace and kindness to us in our lives than it ever is to do with our decision to follow Jesus. Yes, he'll get us there. And you and me, with our failings, yes, he'll get us there. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us from unrighteousness. And on that day when we stand before him, we will be counted as we are already pure and worthy to be in his presence forever and ever. He is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. For us, <clears throat> the world may well see us as foolish. And so we can expect to be mocked and ridiculed. In fact, that's pretty much par for the course, isn't it? And the scripture explains why. It says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 where he's writing to them, he says, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Those who don't know Jesus just don't understand you. Why would you go to church? Why would you sing hymns? Aren't they old-fashioned? Why would you read your Bible? Surely that's 2,000 years old. Surely you don't really believe that Jesus will come back. That, those sorts of things are what are said from people who don't understand. Today they say it's out of date. This book's out of date, they say. They say it doesn't apply, but it does apply. And we know, so they can ridicule us, and we just don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind. I feel, actually, I feel sorry for them. Rather than praying Nehemiah's prayer, Lord, turn their insults back on their own heads. I just say, Lord, they really need you. These people really need you. They're so blind. I was talking to 
somebody in Sainsbury's yesterday and we were talking about things of God actually and then we got on to the forthcoming uh, vote in the House of Commons and I just said if I can quote from a Graham Kendrick song back in the 70s, he said this, he said, those fools are deaf and blind. I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. In scripture, a fool is someone who's morally corrupt, not stupid. But deaf and blind, yes, the scripture says that of those who don't know Jesus. And so they say we're foolish because to them what we do is foolishness. They say (coughs) it's out of date. They say it's an emotional prop, but actually it's the power of God to save. This gospel that we proclaim is the power of God to save. 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us the message of the cross, or the preaching of the cross is probably a better translation, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. They say, it's a silly idea that someone should take your punishment. It's not. They say, uh, it's a a foolish idea to think that you don't have to earn your approval with God. No, it's not. It's a gospel idea. They say, I think I should do something to be right with God. But the scripture says, Jesus has done what's necessary. You're called on to believe. This isn't foolishness to us who are being saved. It may be to those who are perishing. And those who are perishing often end up with that final last word on their lips, I will do it my way, or I did it my way. I have not accepted what God has said. I have been doing it my way. Writing again to the Corinthians, Paul refers to himself and the other apostles as fools for Christ's sake. We've been through this, we've been through that hardship, we've been through this other hardship, we've endured so much, but for your sake, and for Christ's sake, we are willing to put up with ridicule, mocking and scoffing, that, in Nehemiah's words, the wall is built. In Christ's words, that the church is built, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so Nehemiah was a man who overcame. He overcame because God's hand was on him, because God had put something in his heart that caused him to be resolute, giving him a picture of a finished article. And the mockers could come, those who ridiculed could speak up, but it made no difference. And when Jesus came to earth, it says he endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. He put up with it all for our sake that we would be with him one day perfected in glory. That is so very wonderful. God bless you. May he always cause us to overcome. Amen. (laughs) 